0: Welcome to the Women in Public Policy Program Seminar Series podcast at the Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, One thing is today's seminar um, is also being um, co-hosted by our Social Innovation and Change Initiative here at the Harvard Kennedy School. So SICE, if you're not already familiar with them, they do fabulous work. And their um, aim is to create a cross-sector community that is social impact first. They do this in part by highlighting important but underrepresented conversations in the social innovation space. Often innovators are pushed to think about their theory of change, but less often is there a push to attend to and account for unforeseen outcomes when designing for interventions in the pursuit of social impact. So SICE is delighted to partner with WAP and Lisa to bring this conversation to the forefront for those seeking to break established norms in pursuit of social impact today. And so who CICI's uh, mission and their desire to um, co-host this talk is the kind of perfect setup for our conversation today with um, Professor Lisa Leslie from the Stern School of Business at New York University. Lisa has done a lot of absolutely fascinating research uh, related to diversity. But in particular, as um, CICE's mission statement highlights, there are often unintended positive but also negative consequences of our efforts to um, provoke uh, social change. And one of the things that Lisa is going to share with us is uh, a theory paper that's based on an integration of her research and others that looks at um, unintended consequences of diversity initiatives. So please uh, join me in welcoming uh, Professor Leslie, right,
1: uh, thank you so much, Hannah, for the introduction, for inviting me. I'm really just absolutely thrilled to be here, um, particularly because the seminar series and this focus on interventions really doesn't align so well with my own research and the kinds of questions and things that um, I'd like to stay up late at night thinking about. Um, so this paper is a little bit um, different for me, at least. You know, I often present kind of two to three empirical studies that fit together in one nice package. Um, but as Hannah mentioned, uh, this talk is based kind of loosely on a theory paper that I have coming out in a couple of months, um, but I've also tried to supplement it with lots of empirical examples of studies drawn from, from my own research as well as the research of other people um, that we will be talking about throughout the talk. Um, Hannah also mentioned to me that there's some, some differences across speakers in terms of questions during the talk versus questions at the end. I come from a business school, people in business schools tend to be pretty rude and they're constantly interrupting, so I'm perfectly comfortable with that. If you have questions, things that come to mind uh, along the way, you know, please feel free to, to raise your hands and, and ask. All right, uh, so we know that when it comes to issues surrounding diversity and inclusion, um, this is something that organizations continue to struggle with. Uh, we've made some progress over the years, but it's not an issue that's been solved. Um, so for, um, for women, for minorities, members of other disadvantaged groups, we know that they're underrepresented in organizations, particularly in high-level positions. Uh, we know they tend to experience career gaps, uh, gaps in career success. So things like they earn lower pay even when doing jobs and performing as well as uh, members of non-disadvantaged groups, men or whites. And we also know that they tend to report feeling more excluded, uh, these sort of everyday interactions within organizations. Um, Trying to solve these problems are really consequential for organizations, Um, thinking about it from the standpoint of the organization itself. We know that increased diversity and increased inclusion have positive implications for organizational performance, at least in certain kinds of contexts, at least if you manage it in the right way. Uh, And we also know, thinking more broadly about society, if organizations kind of solve this uh, this problem, if they create greater equity within organization, well, that can actually go a long way in terms of combating you know, greater disadvantage uh, that members of these groups tend to face in society more broadly and facilitating greater social justice. So the way uh, organizations you know, often tend to go about trying to solve these problems is by implementing a diversity initiative. Um, So the way I define these are the implementation of one or more policies or practice that's aimed at improving the workplace experiences and outcomes of members of certain target groups. Um, For this work, I I define target groups to be specifically those groups that face disadvantage in society. Uh, It's often women, it's often ethnic and racial minorities, it can be other, other groups as well. Um, some people quibble with this and sort of say, well, no, diversity initiatives have really broadened and they care about diversity on a wide range of outcomes, uh, even on characteristics not linked to disadvantage, so things like um, differences in communication style or attitudes or personality. Um, and that you know, may be true in some cases, but the reason I define it in this way is that you know, helping these disadvantaged groups in society, that's really where diversities came from, that was the initial intent uh, of these initiatives, and those continue to be the groups that these initiatives target most frequently. We know that diversity initiatives are really prevalent, so just a few statistics that I pulled here. Uh, One study found that 93% of the organizations surveyed use some sort of diversity recruitment method, trying to get more diverse candidates in the pipeline. Uh, 95% of Fortune 1000 organizations have some form of diversity training, and 100% of all of the S&P 100 companies list some sort of statement or commitment to diversity right on on their website. So this is the basic way that these initiatives are supposed to work, right? this is what they're supposed to do. Uh, you implement this initiative, including one or more different diversity practices, and what you're hoping for is you know, positive progress toward diversity goals, um, increased representation of target groups, reduced career gaps between non-target and target group members, and increased feelings of inclusion, particularly among uh, those target groups. Uh, Diversity initiatives have a lot of different practices, uh, but we can kind of roughly uh, categorize them into three different groups. Each set of practices is supposed to work through a slightly different mechanism. Uh, So the first are non-discrimination policies. This might be something like diversity training, aimed at sort of preventing bias from influencing uh, decision-making, hiring, promotion, more informal decisions as well. Uh, It might be something like name-lining, right, or other ways to make sure that people's qualifications and abilities are driving decisions as opposed to their demographic characteristics. Uh, The idea here is these types of practices, they decrease bias in both formal and informal decision-making within the organization, and in turn should result in better, uh, more diversity of progress, more representation, reduced career gaps, and more inclusion. The second main sense of diversity practices are resource-based practices. So this might be something like uh, targeted recruitment, right, sort of making minority or female candidates aware of job opportunities. Uh, it might be also something like a diversity mentorship or sponsorship program, right, making sure that target group members are getting access to um, those forms of, of advice. These practices are supposed to increase support and opportunities for members of target groups, which in turn should uh, increase uh, diversity goal progress. And then the last group of practices um, have been referred to as accountability practices. This might be something like appointing a chief diversity officer, right? Someone who has kind of oversight for diversity activities. Uh, It might also be something like a grievance system. So people feel like they're being discriminated against. There's a mechanism for them uh, reporting that anonymously. The idea here is that accountability practices increase monitoring uh, and vigilance around diversity issues, outcomes, and processes, and in turn, that should help facilitate diversity goal progress. So, it sounds pretty easy, right? You're a leader of an organization, you want to make some progress toward diversity goals, you implement kind of one or more of these different set of practices, and good things happen. That's a the theory, that's how it's supposed to work, but we have some pretty good evidence that that's not always how it does in practice. Um, so, an example of this comes from Silicon Valley. Uh, not too long ago, um, the last maybe five, maybe ten years. Uh, A number of Silicon Valley companies implemented these really extensive diversity initiatives. Okay, we're really gonna do something, we're gonna try to solve that problem. And a few years later, basically nothing had happened, and they got some negative press around around this issue. So this particular article and the quotes I'm gonna show you about Facebook, but they're they're certainly not the the only ones, this is not to kind of throw them them under the bus specifically. Uh, But in this article, they talked about how, you know, Facebook releases diversity numbers, which are only incrementally higher than they had been the year before, despite these really aggressive uh, diversity initiatives. And what they kind of blamed it on was um, they said, well, this is just the pipeline problem. You know, we tried really hard, but the female, the minority candidates, they're, they're just not out there, right? They just kind of don't exist. It's not really far that this didn't work. Uh, in this article they then also um, interviewed some you know, women and minorities and uh, who worked in this industry, and their reaction was something like this. You know, after reading this Facebook thing, I felt crazy, right? Uh, Are you kidding me? There's no talent. Who am I? Am I invisible? Do I not exist? I felt out of my mind. So, kind of suggesting that no, it's not really this, this pipeline problem, right? but there's something about this initiative, these initiatives more broadly, that wasn't really working the way it was supposed to. We, we find really similar conclusions in academic theory and research. So, there's been a lot of research that looked at uh, a bunch of different diversity practices and said, okay, what happens? When organizations implement these practices, does it result in improved diversity outcomes versus? Not, or worse, even worse diversity outcomes. Uh, this research is mostly focused on two different kinds of, of outcomes. They focus on whether or not different practices are associated with reduced discrimination, uh, as well as whether they're associated with increased representation. Uh, the logic kind of being, well, if a practice reduces discrimination, right, it should in turn increase representation of, of target groups. Uh, and here's what these studies find. Uh, for diversity evaluation, so this is including uh, diversity criteria and employees or managers sort of official uh, performance evaluations, right? They get a bigger bonus or higher score if they've you know, hired you know, minority or other target group members um, during that year. Some studies find that this is effective when companies have this diversity, these diversity evaluations, um, there's better representation of target group members as compared to, to when they don't. But some studies find the exact opposite that actually when companies have these diversity evaluations, it leads to or is associated with lower um, representation. Same thing for diversity networking groups. These are employee resource groups, groups where people with a a certain social identity can kind of give each other social support and advice. Some studies find that when companies have these, representation goes up, but other studies find the exact opposite. When companies have these, uh, representation goes down. When we start talking about diversity training and diversity statements, things get even more confusing and hard to really make sense of what's going on. So, for some example, uh, for example, some studies have found that when companies offer diversity training, it works. Right? There's less discrimination in the organization. If there's less discrimination, there should be more representation. But again, other studies find the opposite. Right? So, on the one hand, they're decreasing discrimination, which is good. But they're also decreasing representation, right? Which is, which is not so good. Uh, the same thing is true only in reverse for diversity statements. Uh, some studies find they're effective. They help increase re- representation in organizations. But at the same time, other studies find they're actually increasing discrimination uh, against women, minorities, other target group members. Um, So what this is is kind of suggestive of, I mean, there are lots of explanations for mixed findings, right? It could be a function of different study methodologies, it might be artifacts, right? Something along those lines. But this is at least suggestive and, and particularly these ineffective studies right? the diversity initiatives are working in the opposite way that they're supposed to be to be working that, that something's going on here right our kind of ex- existing theory and models about how diversity initiatives are supposed to work um can't fully account for these findings and there might be some unintended things going on right diversity initiatives may be having unintended consequences
0: yeah so i'm going to uh, hopefully break the dam and we'll get other questions too but um are you really finding that they go in one direction or the other? Are there also a lot of null results? Because, in mm-hmm. fact, it would be kind of interesting if if it was, if it did tend to be polarized or whether there's also a lot of null findings in the middle. Is it just mixed, or does it seem like they either backfire? or that they, Does it seem like they backfire if they don't work, or that it's truly like sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, sometimes unexpected things happen?
1: Yeah, so a lot of the studies look at only one practice. And in those studies, it tends to be the either work or they, they backfire, because if there are no results, they're unlikely to get published. Um, but Frank Dappen, you know, in sociology and, and some of his colleagues have done these big studies of, of looking at lots of different diversity practices simultaneously. And then you, you see stuff that's all over the place. So sometimes it's good, sometimes it's no effect, and sometimes it's, it's bad. So these are extremes, just kind of highlighting that you know the, the findings are really all over the place, but there are some, some null effects in there um, as well. All right. So, um, what I really, uh, you know, or what this suggests is that, you know, if first initiatives are producing these unintended consequences, if we want to understand their effects, we want to know how to make them more effective. Well, then we really need, you know, sort of deep, nuanced theory that can account for both the uh, not only the intended but also the the unintended. Um, there is some some theory and some research out there about kind of why this happens. Um, that research can be broadly grouped into two categories. There's some research showing that when um, companies uh it implements diversity practices that leads to these negative evaluations, negative stereotypes of target group members, uh, and there's some other studies that show that uh, it also can lead to negative uh, reactions among non-targets. So you implement a diversity practice, and non-target groups, so whites and men, they don't like the organization as much as a result of that. And most of these things have been um, sort of evoked as these potential explanations for why diversity initiatives might, might backfire, why they might reduce representation instead of increasing it. Um, so we have some knowledge out there, but um, sort of the purpose of the research or what motivated it is that there are also some kind of key gaps in our, in our understanding, um, largely stemming from the fact that prior work, not always, but quite often tends to look at different unintended consequences or different uh, diversity of practices in isolation of one another. Uh, the reason why this is, this is potentially problematic is that if each study is just kind of looking at a single unintended consequence, um, that's important, that's valuable, but there's been these kind of uh, fewer of these more comprehensive attempts to really understand. Well, are we really um, capturing the full range of different types of unintended consequences versus just a subset of what might be going on? Um, Similarly, by looking at these different practices in, in isolation, that sort of suggests at least implicitly, implicitly that the effects of different practices are idiosyncratic. Right? That we need a different literature and we need to understand kind of what. Um, what each practice is doing separately. And um, that might preclude understanding and sort of a broader sense of whether there may actually be some, some commonalities, right, different kind of practices actually producing the, the same effects. So that was really the main goal kind of driving this this research, Uh, some more comprehensive theory building and trying to understand kind of why, when, and what these different uh, unintended consequences might might look like. Um, So kind of a roadmap for what I'm going to do. I'm going to start by presenting a typology of four different kinds of unintended consequences diversity uh, initiatives can produce. This includes both kinds that are reasonably well documented and already out there in literature versus some new types as well. Um, I'm going to use a signaling perspective to try to better understand what is is causing these, what are the mechanisms, what are the things that are driving them, Uh, and then along the way I'm going to give lots of different examples of these different types in the context of um, different types of diversity practices, drawing from my own research as well as others. Uh, And finally towards the end of the the talk, and I'm hoping this also generates a lot of discussion and, and conversation, is sort of walking through, well, how would you be able to use this typological theory, to use this model to kind of evaluate different interventions, right? Things companies might do to try to mitigate negative consequences, facilitate positive ones, and ultimately make diversity initiatives more effective. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but um, I want to kind of lay out one really key assumption that's underlying all of this research. And that's the idea that uh, organizational leaders implement diversity initiatives with good intentions. Right? They implement them uh, because they have a sincere desire to make progress toward diversity goals, and they implement them in organizations in ways that are really substantive and not symbolic. Um, there's evidence that you know leaders often support diversity initiatives. They're advocates. They do this in, in meaningful ways. They have good intentions. Um, I'm not saying it always happens, right? They can sometimes be more symbolic, be kind of window dressing only. Uh, but the reason why I, I make this assumption is that if a diversity initiative is just window dressing, if it's only symbolic, the idea doesn't work like it's supposed to. It's not very interesting, right? That's kind of unsurprising. So I'm really focusing on these more sort of um, perplexing situations where leaders are trying to do the good, right thing. They have good intentions. But the, the initiative isn't working right, um, regardless of that. Yes? So just one question.
2: Is there a space, perhaps, between window dressing and good intentions? In other words, are they necessarily implementing them with the same kind of intentionality as other initiatives within the organization?
1: So even when they're not window dressing? Or? Well, what I'm
2: saying is that I think that there may be a, a, a continuum mm-hmm. from window dressing, which mm-hmm. is just to you know, check the box. Versus uh, really good intentions and a lot of science behind it, versus somewhere in the middle where there's intentionality, but maybe not the same kind of intentionality as with
1: other kind of work the organization does. Yeah. Yeah. So I would I would agree with that. I mean, you know, uh, there's been sort of speculation or examples of people doing this, as, as window dressing has been studied really systematically. So yeah, I would I would agree it's a continuum and where you know all of this applies to we'll be at one sort of far end where people are really are really trying hard to make it to make it work and it's still not working like it's supposed to all right um, so in starting out to so kind of build this this typology uh, I drew to some extent from kind of the broader social sciences literature on unintended consequences uh, which I define as any unforeseen outcome of efforts to create change in complex social systems uh, the study of unintended consequences dates back to Robert Merton, who's a very famous sociologist. He sort of defined the f- uh, phenomenon and speculated about uh, what some of the causes might be. Uh, he also observed that you know these, these efforts to create change, any kind of change initiative, rarely happens in a psychological or social background. Right, rather we're implementing these different change initiatives in these complex social systems comprised of interdependent entities. Um, because of that, this idea that change efforts create unintended consequences, well, it's actually pretty, pretty unsurprising. It's almost inevitable that this is going to happen. Um, so all this is just to say that the idea that a diversity initiative, right, this effort to create change within an organization comprised of interdependent entities, would create unintended consequences is, is not particularly surprising. Uh, in the context of diversity initiatives, um, you know, we have defined their intended consequences as positive diversity goal progress, which means their unintended consequences really include any other thing that they're doing, right? any other kinds of effects they, they might have. I'm um, trying to think about, you know, well, how can we think about these different effects, what, you know, what might different types look like? Um, I sort of created this typology that's differentiated along two different dimensions. So the first is whether the outcome, is right, so the thing the diversity initiative is affecting, is it the intended outcome, right, the thing you want to move, versus some unintended outcome, right, some other variable. Uh, and then also in terms of whether it's desirable or undesirable, right, does this affect something that the organization would want, and its leaders would want, versus something, something not. So just kind of walk through the four cells. Uh, the first unintended consequence is what I call backfire. Right? So This is the idea that you're affecting the thing you want to affect, right? you're affecting the right outcome, but you're affecting it in an undesirable direction instead of the intended desirable direction. Uh, so in the context of diversity initiatives, you know the intended outcome is positive diversity goal progress, and this would be instead negative diversity goal progress. Uh, the second unintended consequence I call a negative spillover. And so this is when a diversity initiative is affecting some outcome other than the intended outcome, so something other than diversity goal progress, and again, affecting it in an undesirable direction. Uh, so an example might be that, you know, diversity initiatives are really intended to help members of target groups, uh, but instead they're having this negative unintended consequence, they're sort of breeding these negative attitudes and resentments among members of non-target groups. I'm sorry, is this
3: organized correctly? Because you, you said that's the second unintended outcome and the way this is organized, that's an intended outcome. Backfire is intended, not unintended.
1: Yeah. So,
3: is
1: that right? So intended. So the way to think about it is like the intended variable, like the thing that's being effective, is is, is still diversity goal progress. That's the the outcome that you want. It's in the wrong direction, which is like the undesirable piece. Yeah, so actually, variable instead of outcome might be a better, a better label there. Um, so these two are, are reasonable well documented, so backfires this idea that diversity initiatives create these negative stereotypes of target group members, which might increase discrimination against them. Uh, and negative spillover is consistent with the idea that diversity initiatives often evoke these, these uh, negative non-target reactions. Um, so this pretty well, you know, captures what's been documented, what's out there. But the broader literature on, um, on diversity issues suggests that, you know, unintended consequences don't have to be negative. Uh, they can also be, be positive. So for example, um, the idea of positive externalities in economics would be an example of this. Um, so the third unintended con- consequence type is what I call positive spillover, right? So you're still affecting an unintended outcome, so some outcome variable other than diversity goal progress. Uh, but now you're affecting it in a more desirable direction. Um, So an example of this might be uh, that diversity initiatives are supposed to help members of target groups but they're also having some positive impact on non-target group members, right? They're not you know, necessarily supposed to do this directly, but they might maybe you know, invoke some, some positive or more favorable attitudes. Um, you know, most studies, current studies find that, that this happens and evokes negative non-target outcomes, but sometimes this, this happens too. Uh, but we don't really have a great understanding about, well, what are the mechanisms driving that? You know, what are the, the sort of specific dimensions or ways in which this might manifest in the context of diversity initiatives? Uh, and then the final one is, is false progress. So this happens when a diversity initiative um, positively affects the, the metric used to gauge the intended outcome. Right? So it looks like you're having positive uh, diversity goal progress, and it's happening in the desired direction the way you want it to. Um, but the reason why this is an unintended consequence is because your know, desired effect is really just in the metric. Right? The underlying processes are not being changed, so it's sort of the appearance of having the intended effect. Um, this again is something that's, that's kind of well documented in the broader social sciences. You know, whenever you uh, implement a, a diversity or any kind of initiative, it can kind of motivate people to want to make the numbers look better. they will start taking those easy ways and those shortcuts. Um, in the context of diversity initiative, people have, have speculated that this might happen, for example, if uh, managers take, you know, a job that's dominated by target group members and just change it, and so now it's, it's a market as a managerial job, right? So it looks like you've increased diversity in numbers in management positions, but actually nothing has really changed, right? Just a labeling kind of, kind of effect. One question there and then. Where would actual change fall in this? <laughs> well, this is a model of unintended consequences, so that would be the intended consequence. Yeah. So the, the broader point being that we have pretty good theory about how these things are supposed to work through these different mechanisms. We don't have great theory about what the unintended effects are, but it's a good point in that thinking about kind of the overall effective of an initiative, you need to take into account is it doing what it's supposed to do as well as it doing kind of one or more of any of these these unintended things. Picking up on Robert's um,
2: question a little bit,
4: I would think that the what happens to non-target attitudes, either negative or positive, would be intended. That part of any diversity initiative would be intended to change the attitudes of everyone in the the group.
1: So, um, I think that's sort of well. Certainly, certainly, this would not be intended. No, that, that, right. In terms of positive attitudes, so I'll get into the the mechanisms mechanisms a little bit. So certainly you want to increase their positive attitudes towards minority group members. But what I'm arguing here is it actually makes people feel better about the organization itself. And I'll get into a little bit about, into some of the mechanisms about why. Um, But yeah, so certainly, you know, positive target attitudes would be an intended consequence. Um, But, you know, I think the sort of most concrete, direct intention to just is kind of bring up non targets to where non-targets are, rather than kind of lifting targets even, even further. <laughs> um, all right, so this is the basic uh, typology, uh, but a typology is a, a useful theoretical device to the extent that it provides not only classification, right, what do these different types look like, but also explanation and, and predictive. So uh, to the end, uh, use a singling perspective to try to better understand well, what are the mechanisms, or right, what are the drivers of these different unintended consequence types. Um, The signaling perspective on the effects of of human resource management uh, initiatives suggests that any type of initiative or practice that an organization uh, implements provides really valuable information um, to members of the organization about priorities in that company, right? What do leaders care about? What are their values? What are the things that it is they they want to achieve? Um, This can be highly functional, right? So if an initiative provides information about Values and priorities in an organization, while individual members of the organization are likely to engage in the kinds of behaviors that are consistent with those those values um, and help sort of facilitate the attainment of of whatever those goals happen to be. Uh, But scholars in this domain have also observed that all human resource management practices and initiatives are constantly communicating these messages and doing so in unintended ways, right? So signaling can be good, but can also do things that are sort of disconnected from, from leaders' intentions. Um, so I use this kind of general idea in the context of, of diversity initiatives, and this sort of suggests that diversity initiatives send sort of a number of different signals to organizational members about what that organization is like, what are the values and priorities, what are the norms, um, and that those signals can often be disconnected from the intention of leaders in terms of either the content of the signal itself or its sort of subsequent effect on employees' um, sort of psychology and, and behavior. Um, and what this suggests that these signals, you know, combined with people's reactions to the signals, are really mechanisms through its diversity initiatives may be producing some, some
3: unintended consequences. So this Sorry. is back to the other two questions. Um, has there been any research looking at whether leaders? Um, has there been any research looking at whether leaders have common? intentions, um, whether there's universality in what they intend to do when they implement a diversity practice, or can there be variability among different organizations in terms of what they're trying to do? So for example, in the Starbucks case, what they were trying to do maybe in whatever they did in the aftermath of the Philadelphia issue may be very different than what Ernst & Young is trying to do on a day-to-day basis. So. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that may help clarify the typology, because some of these things that fall into one quadrant could be in a different quadrant for a different organization, assuming that they have a different intention.
1: Uh-huh. So I think this is where the assumption that leaders are are trying to make positive diversity of progress plays in. So, you So know, they might have different priorities. One company might really care about representation, and another company might really care about perceptions of inclusion. That all kind of follows in the guys like, no, we, we really want to make progress on this. As sort of a sincere sincere effort. Um, and I, I think too, you know, something that I'm trying to get out with the signaling approach is the idea that um, even if there's variability in what leaders are intending to do, um, diversity nations might be doing these other things that even if there's variability in those intentions that are, that are different, that are disconnected, um, that is not, you know, anything that someone with kind of a sincere desire to make in this issue would, would kind of want or hope or expect from. Another question. Thanks, Lisa. I
2: wanted to ask a question that's related to that, and that's less about the cross-organisational and more intra-organisational. So when we're framing up who a leader is, um, some of our research in Australia suggests that the the levels of leadership um, has a really significant impact on things around, for example, uh, flexible working access, uh, which is obviously connected up with diversity initiatives. So the leader, this leader in CEO, C-suite, whatever, misleader in the HR specialization function, and misleader in lead management. There's quite a bit of bleed between both intention, um, strategy and outcome there, and I wonder how you frame
0: that up as a, as a part of the signaling you know, or as a, as a signaling theory not appropriate to use to understand this.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think it is in the sense that um, what people suggest with diversity initiatives is that if it's just the HR department pushing it and doesn't have a lot of status and power in the organization, forget it. But if it's the CEO talking about it, then kind of all the signals it sends are, are amplified, and so here, you know, I, I don't get into it. I talk about leaders kind of generally, um, but I think, you know, for both the intended signals and the unintended ones, that any message diversity initiative is sending is going to be stronger when there's sort of um, more support, stronger support, more vocal support at, at higher levels. Yeah, I mean, I'm fairly general about it, but I think it would just be a moderator that would exacerbate any of the kinds of things that are that are going along. The kind of higher up it it goes in that chain. Yeah. So, so let me get into uh, just a little bit of. I'm going to present kind of a whole model, which is a little overwhelming at first, but we'll build it up piece by piece. But generally, what I'm proposing here is that um, diversity initiatives send a bunch of different signals, and their kind of inferences people make may very well be disconnected from leaders' intentions about what the organization is like. Um, those signals that affect people's psychology and behavior, what they think about themselves and target group members, how they behave uh, in their jobs, and that these things are, are multi the mechanisms that are driving these four different unintended consequence types. Okay, so let's kind of build this up um, signal by signal. So the first signal that uh, diversity initiatives likely send is a signal that targets need help to be successful in the organization. Now this one I would argue is, is uh, if leaders have a sincere desire to improve target group outcomes, this is not the signal they want to send, right? This is kind of not what they're hoping to, to convey to their employees. Uh, but at the same time, this signal is so central to the purpose of diversity initiatives to almost be axiomatic, right? These initiatives are intended to help target group members succeed, right? There it's, it's sort of reasonable to assume that they would widely send these signals that, you know, target members can't make it on their own it needs extra help, support, resources, in order to be successful in this organization. Um, this can affect people's psychology and behavior. Uh, we know that the reason why target group members need additional help is because of situational factors. right? Women and minorities and other groups face this pervasive disadvantage in society. It starts early in life, it's very hard to combat. That's why diversity initiatives are needed. Uh, But at the same time, we also know that people have this, or often have this basic tendency to kind of disregard situational explanations and trying to understand other people and their behavior and to overemphasize individual dispositional kind of inferences, which suggests that this uh, signal that target need helps succeed is gonna lead people to draw inferences that, oh, actually, target group members must not be very competent, right? They're gonna negatively stereotype them, which breeds discrimination, right? Sort of individual decisions less likely to hire and promotes uh, more kind of informal exclusion as well. Then the aggregate can produce Backfire, right? The opposite of the intended effects. This negative instead of positive progress towards diversity goals. Um, This has, you know, some of this has been demonstrated. Uh, Most of the research comes from uh, research on the stigma of affirmative action. uh, Much of that work being done by by Madeline Heilman, which in a very similar model finds that when companies implement affirmative action plans, people see women and minorities as less competent. And they in turn, for example, give them lower performance evaluations, all as being equal, which would be a form of of discrimination. Uh, Again, this has been shown sort of lots and lots of times. Uh, Actually, I did a meta analysis of this literature. It's a really robust effect across experimental and correlational studies that this kind of thing happens. Uh, More recently though, we've seen similar examples using lots of other diversity practices. Um, So Madeline Hyland also did some work, same thing with diversity statements, right? Sort of when companies have these things, minorities are seen as less qualified and competent. Um, Same thing, some work on diversity training can also exacerbate exacerbate negative stereotypes. Uh, And same thing, even when managers themselves engage in behaviors that are supportive and valuing diversity, it again creates these negative stereotypes around competence and in turn leads to, to discrimination. Um, so, what I'm proposing here is, is largely consistent with this, this body of work. Uh, at the same time, I'm sort of suggesting the signal that targets need help is kind of an intervening mechanism working here, and then also suggesting that these kind of individual decisions, kind of in the aggregate, um, reduce representation and, and, and result in negative diversity goal progress. Um, so just another, I'll, I'll touch on this this belief, uh, briefly, this example is a little bit different, but I think this general effect also can encompass um, some of the work that I know that people have done on flexibility stigma. Um, in some of my papers with Colleen Manchester, we find that you know sometimes when employees use flexible work practices, their managers see them, uh, stereotype them as uncommitted as the organization, and in turn discriminate against them, they give them fewer, fewer career rewards. Um, this doesn't happen. But it's more likely to happen when uh, the manager thinks they're doing it for personal life reasons as opposed to work reasons and uh, we haven't published this finding but we find really consistent evidence that the biggest driver of personal life attributions is not gender it's actually being being a parent so this example is a little different but the same kind of logic of these backfire effects still applies right when you have these um, diversity practices flexibility practices kind of signals that, you know, these employees can't hack it on their own, they need this additional support, this additional arrangement to be successful, it creates negative stereotypes, which breeds discrimination, and kind of ultimately these these backfire type effects. Um, All right, so the second signal uh, is a signal that uh, targets are more likely to succeed succeed in an organization than they otherwise would be without the initiative. Um, Again, this is something that's, you know, so closely tied to the definition of of diversity initiatives, it's almost axiomatic, Right, diversities are supposed to help targets be successful. It's, it's sort of likely that people are drawing this inference about the organization um, from a diversity initiative. Um, unlike the first signal, this is also one that, you know, leaders probably intend to send, right? If they are sending this message that targets are likely to be successful here, uh, Well, they're likely to attract more women and minorities, right, that's gonna be appealing to target group members. Um, but this signal can nevertheless have some negative consequences by producing both negative spillover and backfire. So let's talk about the negative spillover first. Um, we know that people tend to, uh, in general, perceive race relations, gender relations, intergroup relations as a zero sum game. Um, so for example, if there's evidence that women and minorities are doing better in society, getting better outcomes, whites and men interpret that as evidence that, well, they must be doing worse, right? Their group's outcomes are, are declining. Uh, so what this suggests in the Cognizance of Diversity Initiatives, if they signal that targets are more likely to succeed in an organization, uh, whites and men and other non-targets are likely to interpret this as evidence that, well, I am less likely um, to succeed in this organization. That threatens their self-interest and is likely to believe them to believe that, you know, the diversity initiative in these organizations' policies more generally, well, they're, they're unfair. Um, when people see an organization as unfair, right, that has negative consequences for their, their engagement, right? Their attitudes towards the organization, uh, and whether or not they engage in citizenship behaviors, right? And that would fit the definition of a, a negative spillover effect. Diversity initiatives are supposed to help targets, but they're instead having this negative impact on, on non-target group members.
3: Um, Also, the earliest
1: support from this comes from the affirmative action literature. Uh, Lots of research and meta-analyses showing that when companies have affirmative action plans, particularly stronger forms of affirmative action, uh, whites and men see the policy as really unfair. Uh, They expect to um, experience more disadvantage and also be discriminated against more in the organization and the results in in law engagement, right? Less traction, less likely to engage in citizen behaviors and those sorts of things. Uh, But more recently, this has also been a very similar effect has been uh, demonstrated in the context of other types of diversity practices. Um, So uh, Victoria Plout has done some work that organizations have these multicultural statements, we really value diversity. uh, Whites feel excluded in the organization. Um, If companies have diversity statements, also some work coming out of uh, Cheryl Kaiser and Brenda Major's lab, that they feel more physiological threats on a a physical level, and they also expect to be discriminated against more uh, in the organization. Yes?
2: Have you seen this in universities at all? Have you seen the same spillover effect in
0: universities? that are trying to find like more women
1: or black women into tech or coding and computer science. Well, <laughs> I work at NYU in the middle of the Village, which is like the <laughs> most liberal place ever, and so uh, among my colleagues, no. Um, but I think you know a lot of the research is done um, either in studies of, of sort of work organizations as opposed to education. But there's no there's no reason to believe that the same kind of dynamics would play out. Right, a university is still an organization, and I think there's room for all these things to. To happen. Um, okay, so again, this, this this theory and the signal I'm proposing is largely consistent with this evidence, but again, sort of proposing that this signal um, that targets is likely to succeed is sort of an intervening mechanism that's explaining these effects across a bunch of different practices. Um, so that's how this signal resulted in negative spillover. Um, but there's also reason to believe that it could produce backfire as well. Um, there's some evidence that you know if, if targets or, if people are getting a signal that targets are more likely to succeed, right? they see a, a targets as sort of competing with, with non targets. Um, there's this tendency to view any out group that you see as competing with your own as having negative intents, right? They must not be nice people, or they lack an in interpersonal warmth, right? So, the way that, that academics tend to study this. Um, so, signal targets are likely to succeed. can also bring negative stereotypes, particularly around warmth. Right? They're not very nice, they're not very helpful, they're not a very moral group. Um, stereotypes of low warmth also lead in discrimination Right, it can also result in these, these backfire type effects. Um, again, there's a lot of support for this, in the, or some support for this, in the affirmative action literature. And thinking about why affirmative action practices can, can backfire and result in discrimination, so the dominant explanation has been these stereotypes of low competence. Um, but in a study, a meta-analysis that I did, we actually found that affirmative action leads to increased discrimination through these different two different pathways, right? It's leading to stereotypes of low competence and it's leading to stereotypes of low warmth, which ultimately increases discrimination, right, and can produce, produce backfire effects. Um, so again, you know, consistent with this research, but adding this kind of signaling effect as a, as a mechanism that, that's operating here. Um, so those are kind of the more some of the more established findings. Uh, so now I wanna get into some of the, um, the evidence and research and theory around these kind of uh, additional types of unintended consequences that diversity initiatives might be producing. So this third signal uh, is the idea that uh, diversity initiatives send a signal that morality in general is valued in the organization. Um, In terms of leaders' intentions, you know, they probably to varying degrees frame diversity as a moral issue. but you know, there is some evidence that diversity is something that people see in, in moral terms, right? It's an effort um, to really create social justice in, in society or so it can be construed in that way. Um, that's different than a lot of or- other organizational initiatives are often focused on this more organization specific problem, right? This also has some broader implications. Um, consistent with the idea that there's some evidence that um, oh, a working paper by Rachel Rotan. That uh, people do see efforts to kind of increase diversity uh, and inclusion and to eradicate discrimination as a sort of morally virtuous act, right? The sort of general principle of, of morality, uh, which is consistent with this idea well, that if an organization you know, implements a diversity initiative, people might interpret that as evidence that this organization really cares about morality, right? Something that's important to leaders. Uh, what's evaluated in an organization is a really important driver of people's climate perceptions. This is basically what are kind of the perceived norms and values, uh, what's rewarded, supported, and expected in an organization. Um, if researchers are assuming that morality is something that's valued, well, it suggests that this might lead to some some ethical climate perceptions. Right? People sort of perceive that well people really care about, uh, behaving in moral ways. People act with good intentions around here. Uh, an ethical climate has a very you know, robust effect on things like, like engagement, right? So if people sort of think this organization acts really ethically, people have good intentions, then angels reciprocate that right, towards sort of behaving positively toward the organization in return. They have high engagement, they have positive attitudes towards the organization. They're more likely to engage in these sort of discretionary citizenship behaviors that, that help the organization. Um, here, getting back to some of the questions about is this really intended versus unintended? You know, If this is uh, increasing engagement kind of through these these mechanisms among targets that could be construed as, as a intended consequence, right? You want target group members to be engaged to stay in the organization. Um, but I would classify non-target engagement as unintended, particularly through this through this pathway, right? You might want targets or non-targets to feel better about kind of diversity in general. Um, but this is kind of a different model through which it might be having these sort of broader implications in terms of um, how non-targets are thinking about the, the company. interesting finding because I know
4: from organizations that I've been in and the the, the um, trend is to try to justify um, diversity initiatives by the business case or by the you know way it fits in with our pedagogical needs or our educational mission and to stay away from signaling that's just the right thing to do and
5: so
1: yeah, it's interesting and there's, there's been a few studies on this and the findings are kind of mixed. Like it's not, it's not, I'll come back to this a little bit at the end, but it's not clear that the moral versus the business is nearly and know necessarily sort of clearly better, but there seem to be some trade-offs um, and we'll come back to it a little more more in the end. Um, okay, so there's not, um, you know, a ton of evidence to support this. Um, you know, when thinking about the effect of diversity initiatives on non-target reactions, more studies than, than not tend to find that, it, that it's bad but there is some no subjective evidence. So one study found that when a company has equal uh, opportunity employment practices, actually both non-targets and targets alike are supportive of those. Um, there's some evidence that diversity training leads to generally positive uh, evaluations, attitudes, and reactions among non-targets. Um, some evidence that diversity statements actually increase non-target attraction. Uh, and diversity climate, you know, is, is not the same thing as a diversity initiative. It's usually thought of as an outcome. If you have diversity initiatives and practices, that leads to kind of this more favorable climate around diversity issues. But here's what's actually pretty, pretty strong evidence that, you know, non-targets might not like diversity, uh, good diversity climate, uh, quite as much as, as targets do. But they still tend to react favorably overall. Um, so I actually think this idea that diversity initiatives can create both positive and negative spillover for, for non-targets might actually explain some of these mixed findings. Right. So whether this relationship between a diversity initiative and non-target engagement is positive or negative in a given setting might be a function of, well, you know, are these positive versus these negative spillovers sort of operating more strongly in that in that specific context. So this is kind of the pathway through which this signal might um, create positive spillover, but the same uh, signal might also be responsible for some some backfire effects that occur through um, moral credentialing and, and increased discrimination. Uh, so what the moral credentialing literature would suggest is that people are generally motivated to feel uh, to sorry convey in their behavior that they're not biased, right? They don't want to appear biased to other people. Uh, because of that, they very closely monitor their own behavior, right, to prevent discriminating. But what happens if someone does engage in a behavior that could be construed as non-discriminatory, right? So this might be hiring a really qualified woman over a man with less qualifications and and credentials. What that does, that that morally credentials the person, right? So it sort of says, like, I must not be a biased person, and therefore reduces that that need for monitoring and can actually increase instances of discrimination, um, particularly when discrimination is subtle in nature, right? There's sort of other explanations for what, what might be going on. Uh, What this sort of suggests in the context of diversity initiatives, and if you work for a company with a diversity initiative, right, people sort of assume this must be a good company, you know, this company treats people well, um, it's cared about morality with regard to the treatment of of, uh, target group members specifically. Well, then I must not be a biased person, right, I might have this credentialing effect, might reduce vigilance, and increase people's tendency to even inadvertently uh, discriminate against targets, right, which could be a driver of, of these backfire effects. Um, Again, here there's not a lot of evidence for this happening specifically in the context of diversity initiatives, but there is kind of some indirect evidence. Um, So again, this is this research coming out of Cheryl Kaiser and and Brenda Major's labs, uh, where they find that different types of diversity practices, diversity training, diversity statement, these kinds of things, they lead people to see, well, this must be a bias-free organization, right? Because they have these diversity practices, and as a result of that, people are less aware and attuned to instances of discrimination, right? It's Sort of consistent with this moral credentialing kind of effect. This organization cares about diversity; they must be bias-free. You know, therefore, I'm not going to pay attention. I right, reduce vigilance. Um, this study uh, by Amelia Castilla at MIT was not a study of diversity practices per se, uh, but what they found is that when an organization has a culture of meritocracy, right? So generally, we care about bias-free decision making uh, that doesn't fact morally credential people as being unbiased and actually leads to increases in, in pay discrimination uh, against women specifically. Okay, and then finally, the the fourth signal uh, is a signal that diversity goal progress is valued, right? This one I would also categorize as a likely intended signal, right? Like this is what organizations kind of want to convey, and their leaders want to convey in implementing a diversity initiative, right? We care about diversity goal progress. Um, that can be beneficial. That can motivate people to engage in the kinds of behaviors that, that help make progress toward diversity goals. Um, but there's also reason to believe that this might give people an extrinsic more than an intrinsic reason. For doing so. All right, so what this means is that people are, are focused on diversity because that's what they, their leaders and their organization want them to do, regardless of whether or not they personally see uh, this inherent value in, in focusing on diversity. Uh, we know that when people have these uh, extrinsic motivations, and particularly when their intrinsic motivations are low, it motivates them to kind of take shortcuts, right? do things that might give the, the appearance of making progress towards diversity goal without creating uh, true change. This, this doesn't always happen, these extrinsic uh, motivator kind of effects, uh, but they're particularly likely to happen when it's hard to kind of make true progress in, in a given domain. Um, this is certainly true in the context of diversity initiatives, right? This is actually really difficult. Uh, women and minorities face these pervasive uh, disadvantages. They start early in life, right? They're really difficult for organizations to fully fully counteract, um, which kind of suggests that this, that this therefore may be a mechanism through which Diversity initiatives create these, these false progress effects, right? It's only the appearance of progress toward diversity goals without kind of doing so through the right mechanisms or without creating true change. Uh, I mentioned earlier this example, this might be reclassivating a job dominated by targets as managerial, right? It gives the appearance of, of more diversity in the managerial ranks. Uh, another example might be reporting sort of overall uh, scores from a diversity and inclusion score uh, survey that makes it look like you know everybody feels really included, but what that's masking is that you know, a couple minorities or women in that group, actually, they feel really unexcluded, right, but kind of hiding that, that evidence. Um, in the context of uh, you know, career gaps, it might be something like promoting a uh, female or minority candidates, regardless of whether or not they're qualified for the position. It's gonna make things look better in the short term, but if a person really isn't qualified, right, they're likely to turn over, it's not gonna create this, this lasting kind of change. Uh, again here, not a lot of direct evidence. Uh, there's some indirect evidence. Um, so research on internal versus external motivations to try to control prejudice suggests that if people are internally motivated to be unbiased, that's good, they discriminate uh, less as a result. But the same thing isn't true when people have these external motivations. So it's kind of consistent with this idea that if all of my you know reasons for focusing on diversity are external and not internal, I'm unlikely to g- engage in the kind of behaviors like reduce discrimination that are likely to result in, in true change. Um, you know, some other examples, there's been some, some speculation, you know, I, I talked about this one. Uh, another one, there's this interesting in-press paper at, at Organization Science where they kind of talk about um, economically op- optimal responses to the need for gender equity, and they sort of suggest through simulations that if you kind of strategically allocate pay raises to certain individuals, that has a net effect of getting rid of the pay gap, even though it's not creating, you know, equity for everyone, right, at the individual level of analysis. Um, This wasn't kind of the motivation, um, oh, just one other thing I'll say about this, you know, there's some anecdotal accounts of these behaviors, but in terms of these signaling effects and the processes I'm suggesting, what um, people have assumed priorly is the reason why diversity initiatives create false progress is because leaders don't have good intentions, right? This is done as window dressing, and that's why they're just kind of fixing the numbers without creating real change, but what the signaling effects sort of suggest that leaders might have good intentions, they're trying to do the right thing, but because of what the initiative is signaling to other people in the organization, you might still see some of these same kinds of effects. So this kind of window dressing motivation for a diversity initiative is not necessary right, for, for having these kind of effects occur. Uh, this wasn't the, the motivation for this paper, but um, a few years ago I did a paper on a pay premium for high potential women, that I think also gets at some of these uh, false progress effects or, or a mechanism or way in which this might occur. So what we found in this paper was um, that there was this interaction between gender and people's potential rates, right? So whether or not they are considered someone who is likely to, to move up to high ranks in the organization, such that uh, for high potential women, they were seen as adding more uh, value from a diversity standpoint to the organization, right? They are more likely to help the organization meet its diversity co- goals because women are underrepresented at high levels relative to to men. Uh, when they have these diversity uh, the higher diversity value led to retention ex- uh, perceptions, which is basically these kind of external expectations, well, because this person has a lot of diversity value, I'm expected to retain them, I'm gonna get rewarded for doing that, and they in turn led them to, to higher pay. So the interaction kind of looked like this, right? So you see the standard pay penalty for, for men, with, men and women without low potential, but at high levels it actually flipped, right? So the women were getting more than the men. Um, so the net effect of this is this is going to reduce the gender pay gap that hurts women in the aggregate, right? It's going to make it look smaller or might even get rid of it entirely. But What's kind of masking is that, you know, these high potential men and women, that's only 10% of the company, about 30% were moderate, and 60%, right? Most people fell down here where there's this still big, this big gap. So it might look like overall there's a reduced gap, but what it's hiding is there's still pay disparities for a lot of people in the organization. Um, okay, so just to kind of talk through some of the implications of this. So this, again, this is the model I showed you before, everything kind of kind of fitting together. Uh, one of them is, I think this highlights, there's some more commonalities across different types of practices than prior theory would suggest. A lot of these practices get studied in isolation of one another, but, you know, in particular the examples of negative spiller and backfire, the more documented unintended consequences, um, as I talked about the examples, there are actually lots of different practices or different goals and intentions, but they're producing similar, similar kinds of effects. Um it's also you know expands understanding with um, positive spill and false progress that you know there is is sort of likely doing this kind of wider set of things, right, producing additional types of unintended consequences. Um, another thing I think comes specifically from kind of identifying these signals. Um so in some cases I'm kind of taking documented findings and sort of identifying this, this signal as kind of this additional mediating mechanism, uh, but I think that's actually really consequential when you think about the big picture, because it suggests that the unintended consequences of diversity initiatives are both interrelated and multidetermined, determined and that therefore operate in these more complex ways. Um, so in terms of being interrelated, this sort of suggests that the different unintended consequences can sort of stem from the same basic signal, right, so this is true of negative spillover and backfire. They can both be a result of the signal that the targets are likely to succeed. And the same thing is true for backfire and positive spillover, right? They can both be rooted in the signal that that morality is valued, um, and this is really consequential from a practical standpoint because what it suggests is that you know a leader might come in and say, well, we want to, we want to signal morality is valued because we want these positive spillover effects, and that's that's great and that's good. But you also have to think about well, if you're strengthening this signal, right, you're doing things to enhance it, you're talking about the more value diversity, you might also be increasing backfire right at the same time. Um, in terms of the multi-determined part, um, what this suggests is that some unintended consequences right, can often stem from multiple different signals, and this is true for backfire in particular. It can come from the signal that targets are likely to that they need help, and that morality is valued in the organization. Um, this is also consequential when it comes to interventions. So in the affirmative action literature, one thing that's talked about a lot for reducing backfire is to give people information who actually, you know, minority candidates and women they are actually really, really qualified that's likely to help um, kind of break this cycle, right? It's likely to um, reduce the the signal that targets need help from resulting in perceptions that they're incompetence and that type of stereotyping. But it's less likely to really do anything about the uh, backfire effects that stem from the signal that targets are likely to succeed or the signal that morality is valued. So this suggests that if you want to eradicate backfire effects, you have to be attentive to all of these, these processes, right? Thinking about all the different signals or places it might come from. Uh, and then I want to take just a minute to talk a little bit about uh, what this means from sort of an intervention standpoint and how you might use the model to um, you know, sort of think through what are the consequences of different different interventions. I'll question? You, are, you, are you
4: wrapping up? I'll let you finish. Yeah, just like two more okay, minutes. Sure. Yeah,
1: okay. um, so what might be, you know, the reason include different types of practices. They can be resource-based, non-discrimination, or accountability. And including these different types of practices are likely to sort of strengthen different, different types of signals. So we talk about first resource-based policies. So this is things like mentoring programs and resource groups. Um, these practices, particularly in comparison to non-discrimination and accountability, they provide targets with kind of the most direct and concrete forms of resources, which suggests they're particularly likely to signal that targets are likely to succeed because you are giving them more concrete resources. And also the targets really need help again because you're giving these really concrete resources. So you have an initiative with a lot of these practices compared to few, you're more likely to get the, the negative spillover and backfire effects. Um, you know, in contrast, non-discrimination policies probably send the strongest signal that morality is valued. Non-discrimination and fairness is a, is a widely agreed-upon moral value. Whereas just something like resource practices, some people might see that as fair, but some might see it as unfair. So with these types of practices, or when you have more than an initiative, you would be more likely to get both positive spillover and backfire. Uh, and then finally, accountability practices. You know, whereas discrimination, non-discrimination, and resource really focus on different means for increasing diversity. Uh, accountability really focuses on the end of diversity goal progress itself, which suggests it may send the strongest signals that we really care about diversity goal progress, right, and therefore lead to, to false progress. Uh, one thing, you know, thinking back to the question about where the intended consequences are, I, you think you have to be a little bit careful about this, like this doesn't suggest that you should just avoid resource base because it results in these negative things, you should avoid accountability because it results in this negative thing. Um, because resource-based and accountability are also more likely to have intended consequences. So there's really a trade-off here, kind of thinking through you know, what kinds of outcomes, intended and unintended, do you care about the most, and that maybe giving you some insight into what kinds of practices you might want to include. In uh, fact, one of the earlier questions, I'll give just one more example. You know, I'm talking about how leaders frame uh, the case for diversity. Right? It's often framed in terms of the business case, um, so this is good for performance, sometimes it's the moral case, we want to do the right thing. But it also be a result of pressure, like our stakeholders are demanding we do this, right? There are legal reasons why we, we have to do this. And this also might have different implications for different unintended consequences. Um, if you really emphasize a business case, that might help negative, uh, reduce negative spillover and backfire, right? So what, what's going on here is that people feel like their, their own outcomes are being threatened and that um, you know minorities are getting this kind of undeserved help. But in doing this, you're really emphasizing, you know, that this is good for everyone, right? It might kind of weaken some of those signals and reduce negative spillover and backfire effects. Um, Not too surprising, the moral case uh, is most likely to to increase this signal and increase the likelihood of backover and positive spillover. Uh, And then finally, if you're doing this for for pressure-based reasons, that's probably going to intensify extrinsic diversity and motivation. We're only doing this because we have to. Other people are telling us. and may increase the likelihood of, of false progress effects. Um, again, so these are just just some examples. You know, the broader point being, I think you can can use this model in combination with um, you know implications for intended consequences to kind of think through what are some implications of different different interventions. Yes.
5: Yeah. Um, thank you very much. So I'm also thinking in terms of using the actual idea of a signal as as a as potentially as a, as a uh, you know as, as an intervention. So. I'm thinking for example of anecdotal evidence. I don't know maybe there's also research uh, supporting it that for example when you have a, a male CEO, right, who's like leading one of these initiatives, there's something that's going on. And I was thinking uh, about your signaling effect, right? He's the he's a non-target, right? He's the majority element. And so if if as a as a man leading this initiative uh, would again sort of like the you know the narrative in people's mind must be uh, well you know, probably this is not necessarily going to harm them, right? Because otherwise, he would be supporting this initiative. So I think that's also interesting to think of how can we, knowing that these are signals that probably are not even conscious, how can we tweak, right? Or how can we think about moderators that might affect the, you know, counter some of the signals that are going on? Um, So yeah, that was, it was just a
1: thought. Yeah, I mean that's exactly the kind of thing I, I had in mind. I'll just I just I'm basically done. This is just my my summary. I'll put it up there, and I think I saw some some other hands. So we can just go to go to questions. we're okay.
4: yeah, so back here. Um, so I wanted to know um, how we can increase the internal motivations of individuals to like want to do this because in the end, like we know that the business case is for organizations, right? Um, but you know, at the the kind of foundation of this is practice it's culture it's shifting culture and that's about people and so what can we what can we do to help people understand right that and I don't think it's the business case and I don't think it's this morality piece either because a lot of people can just say like they care about it and then they don't right Um, and what can we do to help people understand that this is important for them because even if they're working for an organization, the business case is saying it's important for the organization. But if, but like you rightly said, if people feel like if I'm getting, if, if they're getting more, I'm getting less, they don't really care if it's working for the organization or not. They care about what's the impact on me right? So particularly if you're not at the top tiers of the organization where you're not reporting to you know the board of directors or thus and so. So what's the case for us to help people understand at the mid and somewhat maybe not C-suite but right under there that that this is important because those are also people who are driving the HR practices right and where we can see it at all levels of the organization so that's not being driven by the person who comes in and says you know, we want it for the organization. He's not going to HR about how it's not working out, right? It's the mid-level. So from my perspective, it could be something like, or what I have shared as a diversity, diversity professional is, we're moving to a space in our society that is becoming majority-minority. If you don't know how to navigate with different types of people in diverse groups, you won't be able to succeed. You just won't right um, and so that can be somewhat tied to someone's individual success but I'm interested in what you what you think
1: yeah I mean I think it's really tough um, I think the way companies try to do it is with awareness training help people understand like you know this isn't um, unfair advantages you're you know different ways that groups experience this disadvantage in society what's tricky about that is it often feels threatening to people so I, I, I think one way um, that research would sort of support you should go about doing this is, is like you're saying, make it personal, make it people realize that it has implications for them, either for moral reasons or for their own career advancement or whatever else. But you also have to present the information in a way that the person doesn't feel threatened by it, that you know, sort of their um, their privilege doesn't make them feel like their outcomes are undeserved or, or these types of things. Um, but yeah, I think we don't. I can't give you a straight answer because I don't think there's great evidence of something that works consistently. Um, you know, I think that the business case certainly has has limitations. There have been some studies on that and it, it's kind of mixed. sometimes non-target groups like it better, but sometimes it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. Yeah.
5: Thank you. This is really interesting. Um, when you're looking at all these studies that you create the typology for and you come to your conclusions, are those studies controlling for any other programs that are going on at those institutions, if they're taking on any structural change, if they're doing other initiatives that might have some spillover effects on their DEI work?
1: Yeah, some of them. Some of them yes, some of them no. Uh, Some of them are studies of a, a single practice, it might be a real company, it might be uh, an imaginary organization, right? Imagine working for this company, how would you react to these kinds of things? But there are some, uh, we get a lot of them done by by Frank Dobbin here at Harvard and his colleagues where they look at um, you know, these huge panel data sets where they look at a whole bunch of different companies with lots of practices simultaneously. Um, yeah, and again, the findings are they're kind of mixed, right? Some of them work better than others and some of them work in some studies don't work in other studies. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on how to address the zero-sum game mindset, Um, you know, whether it's at a company level or even just in broader society. Yeah, have Hannah give them some negotiation training, (laughs) I don't know, learn how to view the world. It's a mindset issue, right? I think some people just see the world as inherently zero-sum and and some don't. I don't know, but maybe yeah. Like uh, it reminds me a little bit of you know some Carol Dweck's work on g- growth mindsets versus fixed mindsets. You know any kind of you know, and they find that you can prime people, and I, I think the same is true with with fixed. sum, you can prime people to think about one versus another. So I don't I don't think that's uh, sort of common content for diversity training programs, but it might be a good path to to go down to highlight people ways in which you know one person getting more isn't necessarily hurting you, and where are the synergies, and how do we all benefit for your own career advancements, right, or for the company or whatever whatever else the outcome might be.
3: But there's work that shows that blacks and whites see that differently. Yeah, different I, I, so whites are more likely to see diversity as a zero-sum game than people of color um, who see it more about equality that doesn't necessarily affect the dominant group, but whites didn't see any gains from other groups as meaning more oppression or discrimination against whites. So there's at least that demographic difference in perception of zero sum game. Um, but one question I was going to ask is, you know, you refer to all of these things as signals, and I kept thinking, you know, because I work with a lot of CEOs and people who do these kinds of things, that it's it could be more of an interpretation. And I wonder how much control the leader has over what signal right so they can say i'm really saying this and someone else could see the diversity policy and say oh what you're really saying is minorities need more uh, more help and that's not what it was about at all but if that's the case that it's an interpretation rather than a signal then the model becomes a little bit tautological because then the outcomes or the consequences um, are inherently tied to the interpretation that someone had that's completely unrelated. And so I just ask that because I want to know from a practical perspective, how can leaders get more control over what's signaled? Because once they put it out there, people can run with it. In our political climate, we've seen tons of examples of that. Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't, um, so one, one thing for you know, the academic audience is that I'm not using signaling in the Spence classic economics. So in the, in the HR literature, I mean, that's what, it basically is interpretations. Um, I mean, that's like, so it's just like whatever, a you company know, does something and everybody has their own idiosyncratic, potentially interpretation of what that means. Um, but getting to the uh, practical implications of it, I think what it means is for leaders, you have to control the message. You can't just say we're doing a diversity initiative and people are gonna have all these different interpretations, some of them beneficial, but some of them may be detrimental. Um, but yeah, as a leader, I mean, you can control the message. You say, look, we're doing a diversity initiative. This does not mean that whites and men are disadvantaged in our organization. What this means is, you know, and I, you know, more research needs to be done to know what the exact right framing is, but I think what the implication is, is that signals are actually pretty easy to control, right? That's in leaders' direct control in terms of how they, they talk about it. I mean, it's not going to be uniformly effective. People are always going to be a little bit idiosyncratic, but I think there are, there's lots of opportunities to control the message. Mm-hmm.
2: So to Robert's point as well, um, if you think about the diversity outcomes you're talking about as products that that firm wants to um, actualize, then you you, you could look at findings like yours and say, OK, clearly we need to go back and uh, change our supply chain in terms of how we're delivering on this product. That's where I think maybe the leaders' intentions might deserve some additional study. In other words, is this a product that I'm fully committed to delivering, or is this a side project that if I can do it, so much the better, but it's not necessarily considered to be kind of core business? So I think that you're right about the messaging, but it may also, um, there may be some signals too uh, to interpret or some interpretations about uh, how important is this really somewhere beyond window dressing and a core product that we want to deliver on.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So I think, so already suggesting that, for example, not just what a leader is saying is sending signals, but maybe actually, you know, like how many diversity practices they have, or how extensive their initiative would also have signaling effects.
2: Yeah, I'm just thinking that this were data about whatever a company produces, uh, you know, widget A, and it yeah. turns out that widget A has X unintended consequence. We would go back and try to fix it yeah. as opposed to some other response, which is what I fear people may have when they look at data like this and be dismayed about the uh, ultimate possibility of changing culture and changing processes and ultimately changing the diversity of our organizations.
1: So yeah, so it's sort of fuel for just getting rid of the initiative entirely. Yeah. So I have, I have a really strong personal opinions about this. Uh, so I get this kind of feedback a lot. And so one perspective is don't don't put this out there, because then people are just not going to have diversity initiatives, but the other perspective on that is, if you don't put it out there, people are going to keep doing their diversity initiatives in suboptimal ways, and they're not going to work anyway. So my view on it is, I'd much rather, you know, I feel like I come across like the diversity person who doesn't like diversity, but my goal is very much like, look, we want to make these things work. We have to understand the full range of the things that they're doing to try to understand what the solutions and interventions are. And it's not easy, right? But I think it's it's important not to ignore it at the same time.
4: I think. And I'm sorry, this comment could just be about my own personal limitations, so I'm recognizing that, right? It's hard for me to um, understand this outside of the context of race. And race was brought up in the last 10 minutes of this. And it's and I just think that who's at the top, identity matters here, representation matters here, and it's not being brought up. And I think that like it matters who the person is that's instituting this at the top it matters who comes in as a diversity officer it matters how they're implementing and in what the tone is um, of the culture there and the tone that they're striking and how they're implementing i think i think all of that matters for what happens at the end point and i think the fact that this is being presented without that understanding of race it, it, it's it's hard for me to to strike a balance with it, and, and maybe it, maybe that's my own limitation. But I think, I think it, it feels like for me that that's something that that's missing here, and we have to have. And I know that there's an uncomfortability with talking about that, particularly in this climate, and, and there's history around the comforts of talking about that with around different identities. But it's so necessary if we're going to talk about if this works or not. Not that diversity is only about race, but then when we talk about that, we're also talking about the intersections of marginalized identities. I mean, and and that matters also based on, I mean, so much is layered on that. So to have this without that conversation, I don't know wh- where this lies.
1: Yeah, so I, I fully <laughs> agree with all of that, right? So this is not meant to be, um, model of like, this is comprehensive, this is exactly how it plays out for every single group and every single context and every single um, organization. And you know, yeah. as academics, we, we love nuance, right? We do yeah, studies yeah, and studies yeah. and studies around all that, that nuance. The point here is to say, though, look, like these are some general processes that are likely to play out in, in a lot of organizations and, and for a lot of groups that are in a general sense. Right, and so I think we need to be aware of all these different possibilities. Does it mean it applies equally to race, to gender, to age, to sexual orientation, to whatever else? No. Is there nuance? Is there are there differences? Are those really important? Yes, uh, but it's meant to be more of a of a starting point. Um, but what's the
4: general? What, what what's the norm? So what's the is it is it in an organization where the leader is a white man and they're bringing in a black woman to be a diversity professional, and it's majority like like what's the Oh, I'm sorry, what's, what's general yeah. mean?
1: Yeah, so, um, also d- descriptively in the United States at this point in time, uh, assuming it's a, I mean, what what I see in consulting with companies is it's an organization with a white male CEO and the diversity champion, diversity officer is either a white, uh, a woman, a white woman, or a minority man or got a white it, got woman, it. right? Okay. So I think okay. descriptively that's what it tends to be. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree all that, that nuance plays in it. It's important, and we need to do more research. You know, I, I can say in the context of race, um, you know, some of the studies I talked about earlier around negative spillover and backfire, those things have, tend, happen for based on gender, and they happen based on, on race. So we we know at least that piece, those pieces happen. But that okay. that nuance is really is really important. Okay. Um, it fuels careers, right, And trying to figure all okay. this, this out on that nuance. Thank so, you. Yeah, thank you.
0: Fair, I'm taking the last question. <laughs> um, uh, so um, th- this, th- th- two two ideas. You and I were talking about like what are simple questions people can ask, and um, or maybe I was having this conversation with somebody else a moment ago. But um, well, I mean, one of these questions you can say is why might I be wrong? Right? It's one of those classic questions when you're trying to think about like classic decision errors. You know, and I and I think what this is really great is giving us some possible responses to the why might I be wrong. Like, I think I have this great right idea and this thing I'm going to do. And then you just ask yourself, well, why might I be wrong? I might be wrong because it could do this. I might be wrong because it could do that. And it gives you a way of kind of thinking through. So I love that about it. I was wondering if you had considered, which is, I think, a little bit uh, maybe builds also on your comment, the experience of cognitive dissonance. So one thing that I've seen, uh, I've witnessed in organizations is once people start talking about this and saying okay well let's have a comp like this is this is important and we need to have a conversation about this um uh once it is supposedly a value of the organization but then they don't feel like their personal experience is actually consistent with that value they may have actually lived with discriminatory experiences when the environment wasn't claiming to be a diverse environment so initially you can actually have, you know, you're gonna unearth more problems than you saw before you started the thing. Um, and then related to that also, I wondered whether you would considered change over time. So for instance, like Esther Duflo and Rohini Panda's work where it's really only like 10 years after the political quotas get in place that you see attitude change. So, you know, you might end up with some of these initial problems and kerfuffles, but if you actually, to your point, Don't stop here. If you actually get a bunch of people, if you change the demographics of the organization, you could actually lead to a longer term attitude change, in spite of some of these initial things.
2: And what are the upstream effects of the universities if this is also being implemented through the spectrum of
1: people's lives, work, university
4: into
2: workforce yeah
1: yeah yes yeah, so I can tell you uh, my personal opinion that I don't really have firm evidence to back up but this is what I think would work and it, it actually resonates with some of Robin Ely's work who who looks at kind of different reasons or different diversity perspectives and companies kind of start out with the fairness and non-discrimination and then they move more towards kind of value and diversity explanations but I think if you're in an organization where they're really negative Race relations and people don't get along. You don't have any diversity. And there are a lot of problems. You probably want to start with the non-discrimination policies. Like, look, we are just trying to be fair. Everybody likes fairness. Who could not possibly get on board with that, right? And that might help with some of the, you know, tensions and things. Probably not going to result in a lot of representation. But kind of once you have that, that basis and foundation, you kind of get people on board. You know, then you can maybe move on to things like resource practices that are a little more aggressive. And maybe you know, because you started here with non-discrimination, you can avoid some of these these backfire effects. Um, personally, I think starting with accountability is probably the worst thing you could do because we're not giving you any means, we're not telling you how to do this, we're not telling you what works, but all of a sudden it's in your performance evaluation. It's, it's probably a really terrible, great idea for mitigating these things. But, yeah, yeah so great. Thank, Thank you. you. so much.